0: It was a huge night out and uh, in my drunken stupor I actually hit my groin on one of those chunky bollards but as it turned out actually wasn't a bollard at all I was sexually assaulted by Brad Drew I know it might sound strange to say it but if I had the choice between keeping Cameron Smith or Augusto Pinochet in power I'd still lean with Pinochet The trio would have to be Craig Gower, Jason Moody and Sam Obst ...because I just can't see another three players fitting in musically with Craig McLaughlin and Check 1-2. Hello and welcome to another frantic episode of The Voluntary Tackle... ...the only NRL podcast prepared to be as caustic with its jokes as Chris Smith is with his political views. I'm your host Eamon Prown and today on the show we'll be discussing the future of Craig Bellamy... ...the national anthem controversy, the latest chapter in the endless Sutrell Mitchell saga... And also how we feel the New Zealand Warriors will fare in 2020. But first, I'm joined in the sex dungeon by the only man who is so frugal with his money that he once buried his grandmother in a timeshared coffin. That man who was thankfully cut out of her will at the last minute is of course Xander Risotto.
1: Welcome to the show Xander. Thanks Eamon, good to be here. Um, I'm still trying to work out how it is that I save money Uh, by getting a timeshare coffin surely I'm gonna have to dig the body up that's gonna be labor and cost on top of that I don't know if I'm gonna save a dime the reason you
0: save the money is because you you have an agreement with another family right and they go in halves with you and of course they have to then be in the coffin half the time so you you buried your mother between probably June and December and they get the January to May shift
1: yeah, but... Split the
0: cost. <laughs> but it's just straight economics. <laughs> how do we get
1: the body out? Surely we have to employ somebody to then dig up the body. Details. <laughs> it doesn't really matter, mate.
0: <laughs> uh, but no, how long was she in the coffin before you turfed her out for another stiff? Two weeks. Two. <laughs> That's very unceremonious, mate. Where did she end up? Did she end up on someone's porch? You could have been the kind of really morbid version of the poo jogger.
1: I actually... Uh... Have taxidermy is one of my many hobbies and I decided to just stuff her and stick her on the couch. It was more cost effective in the end. Fantastic. Yeah. And
0: so when people come around and say you're watching the footy, does someone sort of snuggle up to them a bit like they would a sofa cushion? Yeah, strangely, it's a little creepy. Um, hmm. I, some of some my old school friends did have a crush on her. Look, some boring stuff to get out of the way before we start. Like an old man begging for change at a bus exchange. Uh, we're coming to you, cap in hand listeners. Uh, think of the Voluntary Tackle as a charity and we need your help. Please go to iTunes. Give us a rating and a comment if you want to keep us going. Look, that's the world. That's the world vision ad out of the way, mate. Um, we're on. let's go to some rugby league. Uh, first up, we're talking about Craig Bellamy. Now, this week, uh, bellyache hinted he might walk away from first grade coaching when his contract is up at the end of 2022. Now, he has said this in the past, though Xander. Um, obviously you know, saying I'm going to walk away from the game before signing a very lucrative contract. Um, is Craig Bellamy just lying here or do you think he'll actually walk away from the game? I hope so. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I don't know. I wonder about it. I think he made the point himself, right, that you can only maintain that level of uh, energy and, and frankly, uh, coaching box aggression for mm. so long and he is getting, getting on a bit, he's 60 now. Do you um, think
0: that high level of stress and anxiety that he gets himself into during a match, is that something that's keeping him
1: fitter or is it something that's ageing him horribly? I think that's wearing down his arteries and he probably knows it. Like, I mean, yeah, he, he, in his interview was telling that he, he sort of watches back some of the times when he's, when he's basically blowing a gasket in the coaching box. Oh, yeah. And, and, and some of the times he's getting, you know, he, he's getting his most animated. That's swear his team are in front. Like, I've seen just, him dead set to a cartwheel when they
0: scored. The Storm scored. So, I mean, you're right. Yeah. And in fact, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, he gets so worked up that you can actually see the veins bulging yeah, out yeah, of his yeah. face. And if you listen really carefully, you can hear one of his veins grinding ever so gently against his
1: temple. Uh, that's the level Never of anxiety quite that quite gets. That cl- clearly, I must confess, but I'll yeah, well, take you
0: Well, mate, I, I do love <laughs> I my I can leg. see it. Yeah. I mean, you, you're there kind of going through forensically uh, through the games. I'm forensically watching Craig Bellamy from afar. Uh, A bit like a seedy, peeping Tom. Hi there, Craig. It's uh, good to have you with us. (laughs) I've got another theory on this as well, Xander, and I don't know if you agree with me or not, but do you think that Craig Bellamy's deciding to, I was going to say hang up the boots, he's not playing, Um, hang up the aneurysm? Because the Holy Trinity aren't there anymore. And of course, I speak of Cooper Crom- Cameron Smith, and Billy Slater. There's one man standing, um, and he's a very old, decrepit man these days in Cameron Cooper- Smith. Oh. <laughs> How dare you say Sorry, sir? I was, was going to say, actually, Cameron Smith. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think it's, it, he's actually sort of timing his exit because those amazing players are all gone? Because to me, that seems like cheating. Mal Meninga did it with the Maroons. I don't know if you remember.
1: Mal, Malminga, to be fair to Craig Bellamy, um, I think if he was gonna leave, he probably would have left when Cooper Cronk left. Um, you know, but he still took... had Slater
0: and uh, and Smith there.
1: Yeah, he did. But um, you know, obviously, he knew that Cronk was the the linchpin that held them together. That's why the Roosters got two straight grand final wins, and and Melbourne mate, didn't. I <laughs> love your tricolored tricolored <laughs> lenses are amazing. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's really. Cam Smith, I mean, as good as he's been for them... when he leaves, like Melbourne do have this incredible ability to just replenish, right? Like their system is, is mm. so incredibly effective. They're that, a
0: bit like a crown of thorns starfish. Like if you cut them yes. off for a couple of limbs, they've got sort to of just grow them back. Not the same level of limbs. Usually they're a bit retarded and, and they're not quite right, which is uh, why instead they're going to have Brandon Smith instead of Cameron Smith, for example. Yeah, I mean, kind of good, it, but not the
1: same. Like every every time a player leaves, like they seem to like un, unearth or, or develop some freak, you know, like... <laughs> Pappenhausen came out of nowhere, it seemed like, and apparently they've been developing their own, uh, you know, uh, software to help them pick talent over the like the last ten to twelve years. <laughs> Classic like, Melbourne. They, they are. They, they've got an algorithm that basically helps them look at players' performance over a number of years mm. and what their development potential is like, and they punch it into. I, I believe the Roosters do something similar, but um, they they have quite a sophisticated s- system to pick talent. And so, what yeah. you're telling me is that. Ryan
0: Pappenhausen could potentially have been created in an algorithm somewhere in Silicon Valley. He actually kind of looks like it. He looks like a, a, a microchip birthed out of the series Miami Vice. Have you noticed that? He looks very 1985. <laughs> he does, 1985, look, he does he?
1: look a little bit like that. I mean, he's just missing the mullet, isn't
0: he? He is, and he yeah. should be like, like Don Johnson wearing the kind of pink overcoat jacket as well. With Melbourne's technology, are they doing any other things out of Silicon Valley? I mean, they're using software to find the best talent of the future. Are they doing anything to potentially reverse the aging process, for example? Because, as we know, uh, we've got one Cameron Smith who is 56 and he's getting on a little bit. Is there a chance
1: that they might be working on something to kind of bring his age level down? I feel like they've been using, uh, like they've been obviously been experimenting on him for some time because there's no way a normal human being can keep going at his age at that level.
0: I like the way you say experimenting on him as if he's not, he doesn't have agency. Like they've just strapped him down and they're injecting him with all sorts of different substances, a bit like the old cage. KGB would. And in fact, I see a lot of parallels between the Melbourne Storm and the KGB um, in that they did have a height and they were very successful and pretty soon they're going to be an anachronism.
1: Yeah, I think we're agreed on that. point. Yeah, well, That's,
0: that's my take. But look, don't take our word for it, listeners. Um, this is exactly what Craig Bellamy said the other day, so you can read into it yourself. He said, I've been doing this for a fair while now and there's probably a couple of other things I've been thinking about and I might like doing in a couple of years' time. Now, does this comment suggest Bellamy doesn't want to retire from coaching completely, Xander? Right? There seems to be like he's left the door open. He says, hmm. I want to do other things. What are those other things? Because I'm assuming it's not become a horticulturalist. I think he wants to continue doing something in rugby league. Do you think there's a chance he might move off to another club or even representative coaching?
1: Yeah, I've heard the, the rep coaching thing floated in a few places Um don't know where he wouldn't. He's not obviously going to get the blues gig in a couple of years unless the the, the blues fail miserably. Mm. Um, the Australia coaching gig. I feel like Mel's got that sewn up for a while, and it sort of feels like it would be. It would very, very much be a retirement gig for somebody like Bellamy. Like his intensity, I don't know, it doesn't seem to lend itself, or it didn't when he was an origin coach, lend itself to that rep style of footy. Mm. Well, it's funny you say that. I mean, Craig Bellamy's been really
0: candid about that. Mm. Um, and, And basically, he'd made the admission that he took his club mentality to the yeah. State of Origin arena, and that was a mistake. Yeah, it, it is, for a lot of reasons, a different game. It's a different crop of players, for example. Mm. Obviously, you're dealing with the best of the best, but it also
1: is refereed very differently. I mean, there's almost no rules in State it's, of Origin. It's a very different style of game, you're right. Um, you know, they, they definitely put the whistle away a lot more. But, yeah, and as you've said, you know, and it's been, been brought up a number of times that they... The, the time they have to prepare a rep team is, is pretty limited and it requires a different approach and a different skill set mm-hmm. almost. Like Freddie, yeah, basically exactly.
0: roll around nude in the grass, <laughs> yeah. let the chlorophyll get up into the frenulum of your penis, and then you're going to be fucking pumped for the game.
1: Yeah, yeah you know, Freddie, like, I like his style. It's all about getting fresh air, apparently. <laughs> apparently it is. He loves a good fucking
0: easterly, <laughs> he I do, hear, he which is an unusual one. An I mean, I want to actually hold you to something you said just a moment ago, which was that Mount Meninga pretty much has a national coach job sewn up. Does he, though? Because I still feel as though, and this is not just my outrageous New South Wales bias here, but I still feel as though Mal Meninga's reputation as a coach is a fairly inflated. And in fact, I think we even have seen the Kangaroos look very mortal uh, Mm. in the last couple of years. I'm not saying it's all Mal Meninga's fault,
1: but I don't think he's necessarily extremely secure with that job. I think think they'd have to do poorly in the World Cup. uh, And, you know, because... Like everything, everything's about big international tournaments. And, and What would it need to be? Would need, they need to lose to Italy? I mean, what kind of travesty would we have to see to see Malmeninga's head roll? Yeah, they're going to be something like that. I take your point. Like he, he coached a golden generation of Queenslanders. I would have loved to have seen what he, what he could have done with the New South Wales side that had Mitchell Pearce as its, as it's starting halfback. I would have loved to running. have seen
0: Malmeninga try to psych up Jason Moody. Yeah. Uh, or, or said to Steve Turner on the wing. Okay, you're marking Greg Inglis today. Make yeah. sure you hammer him. <laughs> I mean, what do you do? And this is the other part I always think about as well, Xander, is you know those coaching sessions with that Maroons team, obviously it was almost the Australian team, generation of great players all in the one spot. How do you coach them? Do you just go, all right, boys, score lots of points?
1: The Chris Anderson approach. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean it's a, deliberately it's a, heighten your own cholesterol it's a good question and what, what I will say in defense of mal and I won't I won't say too much in defense of mal but I will say this is Or his it, brother he's <laughs> he is big on the, uh, the the culture building stuff and I, I do like um, to be fair a number of uh, the things that he's brought in around the kangaroos like he's brought in that that kind of ranking system. Um, for players, where they you know they have a, a badge on the shoulder. The Roosters do yeah. this now too. Actually, I don't know who, who did it first, but I don't oh, know if you've, okay. you've noticed. There's a, there's a chook on the on the shoulders of the players that come yeah. in different colors. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I
0: actually love the idea. I don't know who invented that first, yeah. but I actually but really enjoyed
1: that. It, you don't see. It. I mean, Mal Mal brought it in for the Kangaroos, and you, you, they kind of you know they kind of get a rookie bronze Kangaroo for the, the number of tests played. And if you play like a, I think it's over sixty, you get like a purple, you know, Kangaroo is like you know kind of the elite of the elite. Yeah, and, right. And it gives. The Jersey, like for a while their t- players were opting out of playing for the kangaroos because oh, you know internationals aren't that big a deal and, mm. and it, the Jersey felt like less valuable than, than an origin jersey. And now I would argue that that playing for Australia has regained a level of prestige that it probably hasn't had since the 80s and I, and I think a lot of that has been down to the work that Mal's done. So I mean maybe he hasn't he's not the the brilliant tactician or or, or mathematical mind that uh, that other coaches are, but he, he does get that stuff. I think you're right. National games have
0: seem to have more of a following now than they did, say, 10, 15 years ago. But I'm wondering if it's because has brought us back to the field that they're just so competitive now. <laughs> Not sure if that's the reason. And by the way, on your little stripe idea, um, the Gold Coast Titans also have one of these as well. If they stay with the club for more than 18 months, they win a meat tray. <laughs> which I think is fantastic, that every club has their own
1: tradition. Other, other than the Golkas they've just got like a three-year bleach teeth thing or something. You just
0: go, here, here's your, your snags, a couple of chops, some Botox, and here's a pair of tits with some coke on it, and just go nuts on it. Um, anyway, it's supplied by Bryce Cartwright, obviously. That's why the tits have measles, if you know that. Um, but this is the other thing we need to do. We need to go to social. <laughs> Sorry mate, I don't know what I'm doing Uh, We need to go to social and find out what the punters thought as well Uh, We asked them, will Craig Bellamy retire from coaching when his current contract expires And 62% of the people Xander said, yes he will So uh, people are taking Craig's word for it this time And we can only hope that he's telling the truth Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. The latest chapter in the Latrell Mitchell saga, Xander, is that the Roosters have told him that he will not have a home with the club in 2021. Mitchell reportedly became quite emotional when he was told of the decision. And I guess, Xander, I need to ask you, where does that leave trill now?
1: Uh, it leaves him looking for a contract through twenty twenty by the sounds of it um,
0: so you think he will not play with the roosters in 2020 no no he'll... i think
1: you'll i th- I actually think he'll play with with the roosters in twenty twenty um he'll either really need to have a, a contract sign up uh very shortly with one of the other clubs hmm. um, or he'll basically have to wait for the next window um, and i'm really not sure at this stage of, you know the uh, the tigers of of Sent a lot of contradictory noises. They've they've said the contract's off the table, but you know they're willing to talk to him. And there's yeah. been reports that you know, chat between Politus and um, their chair would would see him go over immediately. And yeah, he's they... well, a weird chair name,
0: by the way. It's Chairman Lee Hecamonatulus. I mean, what kind of name is that? It might as well Greek. be Chairman <laughs> Lee Rumple But no, you're right. In fact, uh, in that conversation, it seemed to be something implicit in what the Tigers chairman said, Xander, and that was that uh, he clearly had a conversation with Nick Politis, and it was very clear that Nick Politis was really
1: pissed off. Been clear for a while now that that Politis was a bit pissed off and Hmm. obviously took it as a bit of an insult that their um, $1.6 million was knocked back. And, you know, you can understand it. They were going to make him the the most highly paid centre in in, in the league. Hmm. And, um, you know, he wanted to chase an extra couple hundred grand to, to have a crack at fullback, um, you know, fair enough, but probably needed to understand that if he was going to do that, it might have might have helped to have had an offer on the table. Yeah. Um, and as we all know, when an
0: organised crime boss offers you a bribe, you take it. You don't knock it back. What was it 1.8
1: million. You 1.6, put yeah. 1.6 eight.
0: million. You put that in your pocket. You know, Luttrell's made a mistake there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know... In, Hindsight's 2020. It sounded at the time like um, he'd had an offer lined up, but it'd be interesting to hear from from his managers and all the rest of it, what the strategy Mm. was there. I don't think they had one, Xander, frankly. But this is the big question as Roosters fans.
0: It looks as though he may well play in 2020. And as you said, obviously, he'll be going somewhere else in 2021. My big question as a Roosters fan is, will this news be something that disheartens Latrell Mitchell? Or will it actually instill him to play even better than he has in previous years? Because obviously... He's now playing for his professional future. Mm. You'd imagine that he doesn't want to throw a season away. He wants to actually inflate his price so that in 2021, he's
1: getting the highest market value. Yeah, it's the uh, the Cody Walker conundrum, right? Like, um, you know, he had the uh, same manager, right? Wade Rushton, I think it is. I think they had yeah. the same manager. I don't um, know that for sure. Walker, through the middle of the year, was told that he was worth a million bucks and the Souths weren't you know, paying mm. him what he was worth. um, And so he... I think he held out and he's pissed them off a little bit, Yeah, but his form was pretty indifferent for a big chunk of the year. And so, and so that's that's the conundrum the trouble faces. It, it could actually act as a really big motivator because he doesn't want to end up in that situation where his form going into de- negotiations isn't backing up his asking price. Yep. Um, so he, he, it could be actually really good for the Roosters, frankly, mm. if he goes out and, and all doesn't us. have a contract, of course yep. it is, uh, doesn't have a contract and needs to, to justify that asking price.
0: I actually agree with you. Um, I, I was having a bit of a think about it, and I was, I don't think he's going to be there in 2020 spitting the dummy. That's, of mm. course, if we play him, which I think we will. Uh, for me, we could see the best of Latrell Mitchell in 2020 if he stays yeah. because I think he's got an axe to grind. I think yeah. part of it would, won't just be about his market price. A lot of it will be about proving to the Roosters that they've made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that may well prove to be the case, but at least in 2020
1: we could score a 3 seed out of it, so <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with it. I'm happy for him to leave the club after we've gone three in a row. <laughs> now,
0: do you think there's a realistic chance that he might go to the West's Tigers?
1: Because the chairman there was uh, sounding pretty positive. Well, Yeah, yeah it, sound, it sounds like it's definitely a possibility, but it, it, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's all sort of behind closed doors, cloak and mm-hmm. dagger stuff at this point. It's, it's a bit weird the way it's, it's unfolded. It is, and of course, how will
0: poor old little Corey Thompson be feeling right now? Yeah. Uh, he thought his job was safe. <laughs> Um, at the back, he's the only three fullback in the game. He thought, I'm going to get away with it. Ducks under tackle, You know, I'm, I'm, I can get around. My ground speed's great. I've got the same build as a pygmy. Uh, but Latrell Mitchell's back in the frame and he may not have a job next year. He may be on the Centrelink queue. So I feel very sorry for him. There was also another element to this story, mate. And uh, obviously, during the fairly candid interview that Latrell gave last week, um, he said some fairly disparaging things about a few individuals and a few clubs. Uh, namely Brad Fittler, that he didn't get called after he got Ah. dropped from the New South Wales team. Freddie's actually been pretty quiet about it in the last sort of four or five days, but he finally got interviewed, I think, yesterday. Yeah. And uh, I think you and I have discussed this. I thought it was a, a pretty amazing reaction from Brad Fittler because he could have easily been pretty hurt and annoyed by what was said and all of the media drama, but he
1: seemed to take it all in his stride. Yeah, like, like everything with Freddie. He just, just, <laughs> just seemed not to bother him whatsoever. He, just waiting he, for the easterly. Yeah, just waiting for that easterly. I love that moment where he just said, oh, the trail needs to get some fresh air, and someone pointed out you can't breathe in Sydney at the moment because of all the smoke. And he said, oh, just head up to the coast. and <laughs> Get out the coast. Wait for an easterly. Wait for <laughs> the love, easterly. Love it, Freddie. Taking it literally It's just great. I know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a really classy response. It just shows that, um, you know, he's he, like... I think he's shown time and again he's happy to just move on with these sorts of things. And I, I did think that, you know, we discussed the previous podcast, uh, you know, Latrell complaining that he hadn't got a phone call. The, the reports that have come out subsequent to that indicate that there was actually a bit of contact, um, yep. you know, even if it wasn't uh, a direct phone call, like there was there was uh, texting and, and a, a meeting with the, the Blues hierarchy to explain it. And I, I did think that it probably... You know, with all of the facts that came out after he made that comment, it didn't reflect too well on Latrell. Yeah, to be completely frank. Yeah,
0: and I think it was coming from a place of hurt. I think mm. he, one thing that Latrell was up when he got dropped, I think he was genuinely hurt by it. Um, he sort of wears his heart on his sleeve a lot. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's where that attack came from. But of course, you know, it's not a great
1: move um, no. to kind of he, throw
0: those accusations out there.
1: He clearly took it pretty personally, and uh, I think ultimately he probably. Needed to remember that it is a, you know, it's a professional sport. It's a representative team. You don't, you don't have a right to those jerseys. You sort of, you know, you're always on borrowed time with them. Mm. Um, and that, you know, probably need to ask himself every other player that was dropped, did they all get phone calls? Did, you know, do you actually deserve that? Is, yep. that, is that something you should be expecting? Um, and it's know. not as though he was dropped for a bad player. He wasn't dropped for Joel Reddy. No. You know, no. he was dropped for
0: Jack Whiten, who has yeah. been in amazing form. So... Um, it's not as though he had that position sewn up. There was someone breathing down his neck. You um, know, a lot of talent in the outside backs in New South Wales. Yeah. So, you know, there's that little bit of a uh, tunnel vision perspective that I'm sensing from Latrell maybe. Yeah. That
1: Andrew Webster had, had a comment in his, in his piece in The Herald the other day. I thought that if, if Latrell reads, probably will give him a kick up the backside where he said he had a touch of the Jared Haynes. Oh, <laughs> there was some, th- some <laughs> stuff in life you can't take <laughs> yeah, back, no, mate. Just, yeah, he so, said, you know, everything was somebody else's fault, which I don't think was quite fair but there was a touch of it he's right he's right
0: a touch of the jared haynes means you you just feel really hungry for (laughs) someone's (laughs) welcome back to the voluntary tackle now um there's been a bit of controversy uh xander regarding the national anthem coming up in the indigenous all-stars match which I don't know if you're obviously aware of this. The Indigenous All Stars match used to be a format where um, Aboriginal players would play against a bunch of white guys, uh, which was kind of weird because it was really tough to support the white guys and not feel racist. Um, was
1: always a, I thought it
0: was just basically every, every you know, anyone who wasn't an Indigenous. I guess so, but it was mainly white guys, <laughs> and and usually guys that weren't that good because they were sort of like in that we're an okay kind of player yeah. because the elite players went. I don't want to play for the Third Reich. This is a bit weird. And I'll tell you another person who really suffered during that chapter, the person who sold the All-Stars merch, Um, (laughs) because not a lot of people wanted to buy that shit, I can tell you that. Uh, But now the format's a lot different. They're obviously playing the Indigenous New Zealand team versus the Indigenous Australia team, much better concept. Uh, But there has been some controversy over the national anthem. Now, you and I have both commented about this. Uh, It's been largely a news-limited, driven um, media agenda regarding this, but... Having put this question out on Twitter, which we'll get to the results in a moment, but uh, I was actually quite happy about the level of conversation and nuance mm. that was going on on social media because obviously Twitter's not really known for it. And, of course, if you were to read nothing but the Daily Telegraph, you'd think this was a really binary conversation about whether or not um, Aboriginals are racist or white people are racist, which is a r- ridiculous dichotomy. Um, but let's just throw the question out to you. It should Do players have a right to not want to sing the national
1: anthem? Yeah, I mean, I'm on record on 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 the discussion we had on Twitter as saying I think absolutely they do, and I, I think that it's it's just a, a a question of what being Australian is, right? I mean, if you you know the the, the pushback seems to be that well, if they're going to pull pull on the green green and gold later, um, then they have to sing the anthem. It's like, well, no. I mean, is, is is being an Australian respecting the anthem, or is it to do with more than that? And I think it's to do with more than that, and and th- th- that's the reason that I I likened it. Um, you know, it's it's there are problems with the analogy, but I think it, it, it works. Is it's it's a little bit like the rugby uh, union team of, of of Ireland, where they don't sing the soldier song, the Republic of Ireland's national anthem, or God Save the Queen, because they are two nations but one country. You know, they're politically divided mm. because of history and and you know wars of uh, conquest by the United Kingdom, um, and then wars of uh, independence by the Irish uh, National Army. So they've got a very complex national identity, but they do ha- have a shared sense of being Irish. They all want to represent Ireland in that team, but they can't agree on you know what their national song should be. This isn't entirely unlike that. They, we don't have a physical border that has an Aboriginal nation, but they are a nation unto themselves. They have their own history. Well, but they are also, multiple nations. On they, well, they, they, you, know, you, you go back far enough and the, the history of their they have a, a raft of languages and a very deep culture and history to say to them that, look, you don't feel represented by this song. You should just cop it and, and, and sing it. If you want to be part of Australia, it's like, well, no, their, their sense of being Australian is more complex than that. And if they don't feel represented by the anthem, you know, given the words, um, yeah, kind of don't blame them. Then fair enough. I always get a bit
0: perplexed about just the sheer notion of mm. someone saying, no, you must sing this song. It's such an unusual thing to do, because I don't know about you, but I have a terrible singing voice and I don't spend any of my private life really going around singing to any degree. So for any kind of uh, lobby group to mandate on me that I need to sing a particular song does seem unusual. It also strikes me that, you know, I think it was Thomas Jefferson that said, dissension is the highest form of patriotism. But I feel like in a, in a democratic country, where we all respect freedom of speech, that if someone doesn't want to do something... Kind of is their right, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's it's probably the most ironic point about this is that is the idea that people are trying to force speech as opposed to yeah. you know there's been all this talk about rep, uh, you know uh, respecting yeah respecting freedom of speech and you know with all of that rhetoric around it, it's it's funny to me that a lot of the people who've been most critical have also been the most vocal on uh, why they should have to sing the anthem
0: and look this is an indigenous match as well so it has a a particular significance and it's not as though there are players uh indigenous players in our team looking to uh kind of slander the anthem they're just simply saying i'm not participating in singing it so i don't think there's any any suggestions that people would take a knee during it i don't think they want it played at all Mm. which is i think fair enough but it'd be very different if they were sort of actively denigrating. This seems to be a form of silent protest, which
1: I thought we were all about it's, in this country. You know, your comment about that taking a knee actually kind of highlights another issue that I probably have with this more broadly. Is it does feel as if the, the thing is a bit of American culture that is seeped into the Australian psyche. Um, you know, you've but no one's
0: claiming they're going to do that, are they?
1: No, no, no. I mean, the controversy in the NFL um, of, uh, of players taking a knee, the level to which they were apoplectic... About somebody not singing the the anthem seems to be driven by the intense you know nationalist patriotic fervour that they have around everything in the US. So they sing the national anthem at every freaking game for Christ's sake. Yeah, Australia is not like that, you know. As a thank kid, Christ, yeah, we're not right. Like I mean, if you if you've ever listened to like a radio vox pop of people uh, on the street asked to recite the anthem, most people can't get past the first three sentences, we're not a country that is obsessed with our anthem or feel as if it is the embodiment of our national identity anyway. I mean, the thing was voted on in 1984.
0: Yeah, it's not been around. It's not particularly entrenched.
1: So that's, that's probably, like, a, on a broader sense, I mean, I, I kind of have an issue with it being a news item simply because it, it, it just kind of feels like a... It, it almost feels manufactured. Well, interestingly, though, Xander,
0: just to counter that point, is, you know, um, the likes of Ryan James and obviously Latrell Mitchell, Cody Walker, they have actually been fairly active in bringing this into the news cycle Mm -hmm. to some degree because uh, they've all been quite vocal about that song not representing them. And only this week we had Ryan James Mm -hmm. uh, saying, basically going into a, a fairly lengthy detail as to why he won't be singing a song when the Indigenous game takes place. And he raised some pretty compelling points. I yeah,
1: think. no, and, and, and to clarify my earlier points is I'm really more talking about the the argument against them having the right to, to sing it. I, right. I, I completely understand why they would feel like it doesn't represent them. The, the complex history the Aboriginal people have with the country and mm. with white settlement and, the you know, just the lyrics of the song itself, they don't really sound terribly representative no. of the Indigenous people. Do you think or they we were even trying.
0: Yeah, do you think if we were just to change the word girt we'd get people on board because that's such a shit word, isn't it? I and mean, that's the one I've always had the biggest uh, problem with over the years because I just can't imagine anyone in their everyday life using the word girt in any situation whatsoever. You know, I've Wait, actually... Can you use it in a sentence outside I've... of the national anthem, please? <sighs>
1: I'm girt by fuckwits. <laughs> I was going to say... i the game I... girt by absolute fuckwits. I'd love to see like a police stakeout and... <laughs> We've got you that... girt by coppers. <laughs> well, I'm saying if they want to keep the word, the rule should be we
0: have to use the word absolutely all the time in everyday speech.
1: Otherwise, it goes. You know what? I'd be all for that. I just would love to see that. <laughs> you know, um, but look,
0: you know, we're, this is a rugby league podcast, so I am conscious of drifting too far away from from the game itself. But uh, the Minister for Indigenous Australians, Ken Wyatt, Xander recently said he preempted any decision not to play the national anthem. At next year's rugby league All Stars game, warning that it would actually be a divisive thing to do and detract from an important celebration of Indigenous players. Now, that's coming from our Indigenous Affairs Minister. Um, does he have any point there whatsoever right, that so it could
1: be divisive? To to what what would be divisive? I'm actually it, um, not clear. It on would what. be divisive not to play the anthem. So the oh. other, the, wait, f- wait, wait, actually, would we notice? I think is probably the question. Like if you didn't play the anthem before the game. You know, and you and we weren't talking about it constantly. Would we even notice? Imagine I'm just imagining myself on the couch, three beers in, going, "Hang
0: the fuck on." <laughs> where, where was fucking Shannon Knoll with the national anthem? I, I honestly don't. Yeah, like getting it's back, fucking to, outrage.
1: Getting, getting back to my earlier point, when we were kids, I, I swear to God, there wasn't anywhere near as many people with Southern Cross tattoos and 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 uh, you know, like. Australian flags on their front lawn and all that kind of shit. Like, I, feel, I feel like a lot of that is, is, is kind of lifted from American culture and I kind of have, you know, it, it all feels a little bit weird to me. Well, I'm going to go on a real tangent here, mate, because I'm going
0: to start uh, quoting Ernie Dingo, who said he had reservations about not playing the anthem at the All-Stars game because, and I quote, it will just make white people angry. There are bigger things to worry about. Just play the anthem, he said. Uh, Now, Dingo said that while he did not object to playing the anthem, Indigenous people should not be expected to get enthusiastic about it or sing along. He said, once this country includes Aboriginal people in the Constitution, I'll sing along to the national anthem. Until then, I hope you don't mind if I don't. Anyway, the most important thing is the match. The boys are going out there to play footy and do the best, and that's what people come to see, not the anthem. So it actually goes to your point there. Do anyone fucking notice? And this comes kind of dovetails back to the News Limited argument. They're really just giving this thing unnecessary oxygen, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I feel, it feels like a, a beat-up for, for some fat bastard like Paul Murray to get upset about on TV. Yeah. But, but he needs
0: to be anxious about something. Otherwise, Paul Murray's not Paul Murray. <laughs> and look, here's another little... I don't know if I could put an extra tangent on this, and this could be a middle ground solution, because, you know, I'm a diplomat at heart, Xander. I like to solve these problems and try not to offend any of the parties even the rabid racists, if I can avoid it, Um, could we potentially have the same anthem sung but in the indigenous language of the ground of which the game is played? Is that some kind of... Like a welcome to country, yeah. Yeah, so it would be the national anthem's lyrics but through indigenous
1: language. I mean, the fundamental problem still (laughs) remains, right? Like, I mean, it's it's a song... Is it about a gesture? Is there some kind of optics that helps there or we still remain unconvinced? I, I mean, they do, it's taking the New Zealand model and, and, and having the song sung in Maori, but I think the Kiwis have their own problem because they basically just lifted um, God Save the Queen and replaced Queen with New Zealand. Fucking plagiarist. <laughs> <Just like> plagiarism. Plagiarism is their bigger problem, not racial awareness. S- speaking of anthems, is there any anthem uh, as uninspiring as God Save the Queen? Possibly uh, Advance you... Australia Fair. <laughs> no, I mean, even, even our anthem, I think, has more going for it in terms of talking about, at least it talks about the people.
0: All right. Well, I've got a, another little tangent for you. If you could replace the national anthem, what song would you choose? Back in Black. Oh, lovely. Bit of Akka Daka. Yeah. That, what if it was um, something even without any lyrics, like a Kenny G hit? <laughs> why (laughs) not now we did put this out to social we asked do players have a right not to sing the national anthem before a match 79% said yes while only 21% said no now we should say this actually generated some pretty fierce discussion uh, below the poll Um, do you think we should read out a few of these comments nah nah Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Now, we're very ideas-oriented here on the show, uh, not ever any good ideas, obviously, just ideas, just random things said all at once in a cacophony of voices, and then we extract four or five words out of that hazy maze of sounds, and we try to create an idea out of it. Uh, on this occasion, we haven't done that. We've gone with Steve Mascord, uh, because he actually Go knows the thing. He knows a thing or two about rugby league, thankfully. So we're lifting this rather shamelessly, uh, Xander, from the raw. Um, But I actually thought it might be an interesting talking point because we're always talking about rule changes and how the game can potentially evolve. And Steve's uh, article is relating to something called the loan system. Now, I'm not sure if any listeners are aware of this system or not. Apparently, it is in working order in a number of other codes. Um, I think it's in working order in the English Super League, actually. Uh, and essentially, am I getting this right, Xander? Because I have had quite a few beers and I, I'm not entirely across every detail of this system, but essentially uh, it would enable a club to be able to loan out one of their players to another club so long as that player didn't play against them uh, to for the purpose of giving them some first-grade experience and they can kind of take them back whenever they like, which does seem ostensibly fucking weird, doesn't it? I, I couldn't imagine going oh, Jesus, Virgo's giving me shit. I'm going to lend him to the Titans. Take that, Virgo. Uh, I'll take you back when I feel like it. It does seem strange, but apparently there are some virtues to the plan.
1: Yeah, I instinctively didn't like it as soon as I read it, to be honest. I mean, it just, see, it just seems... There, there are enough problems, uh, I think, already with the fact that players can change clubs mid-season. Like, fans find that jarring. The idea of, say, having, I don't know... Um, Ryan Hall for us, um, you know, we don't need him on the wing for a month, so fuck it, we'll give him to St George. It just, you know, lets him... And let him play out there for a month. It seems... It just it just feels a little bit weird. Like, it kind of cheapens uh, somehow the clubs, to my mind.
0: The one thing that I don't really understand with this system is, does the club that you're giving the player to have any agency in it? I.e., mm. are you just foisting a shit player on another club? Like, could you say... Fuck you, St George. No, you're taking hawk. and you have no say in it whatsoever.
1: He will play at 5-8, I mean, you fuckers. <laughs> I, I, I assume it's, it's, it's uh, in situations where you're responding directly to a requested need. So it's consensual. Um, so it'd be much better. This system would be much better if it was non-consensual. Which is <laughs> we just forced people like it, to take yeah, it. It's
0: called, it's called the Hain. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll
1: be a lot more interesting. Uh, I mean, uh, one, of the, one of the questions I have about it, and it's kind of raised in that Raw article... You know, is what if like if you use this strategically, you could um, theoretically stuff with other teams. Like, I mean, if if say the Roosters had like the the buy and decided to just lend out Cooper Cronk, like I don't know, to a side that were about to play the Storm, just to see if they could stuff hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like that must happen in the English Super League. Yeah, I, I would assume so. But it, you know, they're like, yeah, fuck it, we'll take Cooper Cronk for a week. I tell we you what, the- that's
0: very Machiavellian, isn't it? There's a whole new level of strategy yeah. there, not you? Like you, <laughs> Titans are playing the Storm, and you don't want the Storm to win, so you make the eight. So you just give them the entire Roosters first grade team. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, just. That, that doesn't really sit right with me. Like, well, can I? Because we have to have a counterpoint to this because I think we're both in agreement that it's a fucking shambles of an idea. Uh, so I need <laughs> a to typical present. Typical
1: Steve Mascot idea, <laughs> you.
0: Fuck <laughs> you, Mascot. That's all <laughs> I like, can like, By the way, I don't mean that if you're listening, which you're
1: not. Um, I quite, no, like, I, I, I quite I, like your views. Steve is the kind of guy who would listen to a podcast like this. Is he? Yeah. Does so he know a lot about it? Hey, well, I've had a few back and forth. So I, uh, Steve, I love your work, but I generally think your ideas are terrible. You've chatted with Steve? Yeah. Oh, on, no, <laughs> on Twitter. Like, you've touched
0: rugby league royalty. <laughs> I'm, I'm unworthy. <laughs> yeah, but he's like 12th in line for the throne. He's okay, yeah. that kind of royalty. Yeah, Again, no offence, Steve. Yeah, of course. Cool. So it's, it goes uh, 11 Peter Fralingos' and then Steve Mascord. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. which Like means the Saudi the royal family where, you know, there's like 100,000 of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, but look, to, to play the devil's advocate here... Um, Um, according to Steve Mascord's article, said that we're talking about Michael Maguire's experience in the English Super League. And he said, um, Maguire joined Wigan in 2010 and he loaned a youngster. Apparently, he was very sceptical as well, Maguire of this whole loan system, like any other Australian. Thought, what the fuck's this? Anyway, he he lent a youngster out called Josh Charnley to Hull. Um, All the while, pretty dubious about the idea. And apparently, this Charnley kid scored five tries in five games for the Rovers and he returned to Wigan and became an absolute superstar. Um, whether or not that is a direct result of this loan system, there, there could be some advantage. Say, for example, there's you've got a great squad, and but someone's not getting a run, right? And mm. he's in the second division. You, you might want to give him some first-grade experience, potentially, with another team and start cutting his teeth in first grade and he comes back to you an improved player. Is is there some rationale in that that might be a, a good idea?
1: Yeah, I can see that there being value in, in narrow circumstances like that, but I almost feel like... Just given the way that the NRL works and how incredibly quick to exploit any angle that uh, that, that appears that NRL coaches, um, you know, alike.
0: Yeah, we're blood sucking fuckers, you, aren't we? You know what
1: I mean? Like any time that a new rule change or anything comes in, a, a coach like generally Bellamy <laughs> will work out a way to exploit the fuck out of it in unintended ways that nobody could possibly have thought of
0: do you remember that time he um, orchestrated that huge creative accounting thing but that didn't go down (laughs) so well (laughs) welcome back listeners we're talking new zealand warriors and i know what you're thinking why uh, but look, we have to because we're also talking about the prospects of teams in 2020, and um, for us, we're looking at obviously you know the the, the pros and the cons and what's going to happen in the off season. Um, and normally, there's a lot to talk about, Xander. But unfortunately, when it comes to the New Zealand Warriors, for me, um, they just seem to be carbon copies of each team that precedes it. Mm. Uh, I could be saying the same thing about the New Zealand Warriors in 2020 that I could be saying in 2014 that I could have said in 2009. It's that they've got no chance of winning the premiership and they might make the eight. That, that's kind of the way I feel about them most years. Look, I don't think there's a huge amount of churn between their squads from last year to this year. I don't have a huge amount of optimism. Um, they haven't really got a halfback that has impressed me in quite a long time. Not since Stacey Jones, really. Um, they did got, have Mason Lino. They had yeah. Mason Lino, who's now been fucked off to the Newcastle Knights yeah. and can't get a run behind Mitchell Pierce. So go figure that. Um, So for me, it's going to be a fairly boring analysis because I think they're going to be finishing about 11th as they do every year.
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, they finished, what, 13th this year, so it would have been improvement. That's right. There's um, a a slight margin for error there. Yeah, they're a funny side. Like, I mean, there there was a stat brought up earlier in the year um, that basically I think it was the Storm, the Roosters, and um, uh, I think it was Souths had the... um, the three teams with the lowest offload um, numbers across the competition. Just wow. happen to be in the top four. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so offloads, you know, they're not actually, I mean, they, they look good in, in instances and, and some teams like the Raiders can kind of be outliers and do well with it. Mm. Um, but generally speaking, you know, you end up with a lot of mistakes and, and the Warriors game plan seems to have been built on, on that sort of, you know, open free-flowing uh, like offload football for a long time um there were there were years here and there like in 2017 and that where they went away from it and tried to play more structured
0: that's right they had some a couple of great years hmm. interspersed within so much mediocrity it's not funny you
1: yeah know? and it just seems like if they they, they go from you know they, they'll go through periods where they are actually a bit structured and they, they they come up with a few you know like good periods um and then they still don't Go too far, so they go straight back to Harlem Globetrotters stuff, and it, yeah, it's
0: um, it is a bit of a conundrum. Look, here's the thing about this: I I feel as if, uh, prediction-wise, I think they're going to have much the same season next year as they did this year, but I feel as though there are plenty of ideas that I can share as to how they could get a lot better. Stop um, the breathing technique? Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, I think the breathing... At this point, they're hyperventilating. You know, that's not a fucking breathing <laughs> it, circle it anymore. Looked, it looked
1: really effective when they won their first couple of games, and then they were doing it after getting beaten 50-0. I, I know. Like, everyone looks like a fucking legend when you're winning. <laughs> yeah. You know, they could have got together and fucking wanked each other off, and everyone would go, that's
0: a great technique, preferably, as long as you're fucking
1: winning. Preferably not that technique. You <laughs> the know, circle jerk. <laughs> yeah, <know. exactly. laughs> gone from, the, <laughs> gone from the, the breathing circle to the
0: circle jerk. <laughs> and, and Stephen Curdy's in the middle getting copying a Bukaki, <laughs> <laughs> And you go, after round one, you're like, that didn't work. Fuck that idea off. We don't want that. Okay. You, what, if, what if they won? <laughs> what
1: if they won? <laughs> 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 You've well, you
0: <laughs> you <laughs> got to keep it up then. You can't see me eight for a winning formula, mate. You've got to keep it up. That, that went well. Yeah. Good, <laughs> Good analysis, <again>. mate. Exactly. <laughs> more, more after this. No. No. That For the record, that was not my idea. I've got to tell you, the, the Warriors have always struck me as this club, we've talked about this before, bursting with talent, uh, a lot of juniors, but it always felt like a cultural problem. Yeah. yeah. And I've always thought if they just get one amazing coach mm. to go across, convince them to go across to Auckland, the Warriors could be anything. If they got a Robinson or if they got a Bennett or if they got a Bellamy, I think yeah. if any of those three people went across to the Warriors, we'd finally see how good this team is. And unfortunately, Stephen Kearney's not the man for that. The, the breathing circle sucks. You've m- noted this before. I know he's come from a good system. He's come from the, the Melbourne mm. system. And I mean, <laughs> even after just call him completely shit, I mean you no disrespect, Stephen. Um, but I just don't think he's the man to lead the club. To greatness, I think he could be part of the system, but they need a genuinely great super coach mm. to go over there and actually drastically change the culture there. And it's going to take more than fucking deep breathing.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and funnily enough, this is this is why I've been a big proponent of having a second New Zealand side, because I've oft, I've felt forever that the problem has been, uh, you know, cultural and deep set within that entire system they have, the Warriors. And and the idea of having like a, a hard-nosed sort of uh, no-nonsense culturally very distinct team in the south of Ireland would would act probably as a good
0: like a counterweight
1: yeah good counterweight for them and you know they were, they were also Kiwis and they wouldn't be able to just ride as the only Kiwi outfit in town so it might actually force them to, to raise their, their standards a bit but um, failing that I, I think you're right they need they need somebody to come in who'll drastically uh, up their standards but probably needs it, the, at this stage, I think it's more than just a coach. I, I suspect it's within the entire organization. Yeah, that's quite possible um, too. Yeah, you know, like there, there needs there needs to be buy in at all levels, and they probably need to have a you know a, a clean out at more than just the coaching level.
0: I mean, have you ever noticed the Warriors don't have a distinct playing style? Like they they are yeah. this team that kind of turns up and. And sort of, as you said, sometimes look like they're playing off the top of their head, play some brilliant footy, and then other times look extremely disinterested, yeah. lethargic, like they don't really want to be there. And of course, the great teams never have those games. They might play badly, but they never have a game where they just look completely disinterested, which is what the Warriors routinely do every year. There'll be patches in the year where they just don't look like they want to be there. Yeah. To me, that is an absolute red flag sign that there's some cultural problems going on within the club and... And it's been that way for a long time. I mean, look at the guys like Roger Tuafasa right? an amazing talent. And statistically, people will tell you, well, he had an amazing year. He's a golden boot winner, Mm. um, even though that's only on internationals. But even at, at club level, statistically, the guy had amazing stats. But imagine what he could be with a team that had this structure in place, that had that winning formula in place, that had a team around him trying to accentuate the kind of game that he brings. At the moment, for
1: me, most of his brilliance is sort of individual yeah. because they don't build too much. Um, yeah, but, there's a real difference in watching Tua Vassa-Shek play and watching uh, Tedesco play precisely for that reason. Tedesco fits into a structure, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas you're right, um, with, with uh, Sheik. the tactic is just get him the ball and see what he can do. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Mm. And,
1: and also just get our
0: giant forwards to ram
1: into the line, with not mm. a huge amount of strategy there either. Well, they didn't even, like they, their mate is gained and everything this year wasn't even that great. They, they weren't effective up front. Yeah, because they're yeah. running single out a lot of the time.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, a great packs, they hunt as a pack. You, you take the roosters, I know we're outrageously biased, but there's no one there operating as a silo. Mm. You know, they're all operating as a unit. They have their different lanes. They know when a certain forward's going to cut up the ball and in what situations is going to be most effective. The Warriors pack don't have that. They have, a, they have a bunch of guys that look like the scariest guys you've ever seen. They look a bit like Jake the Mus. Um, but none of them, that sounds racist again, doesn't it? But they, they look extremely intimidating. But they, as you said, they don't string them together as a, as a unit, which is a problem. Now, before we go to social to find out what the punters think of their season in 2020, Xander, I'm very interested. Where do you think they're going to finish on the ladder? Yeah,
1: I think they're going to end up around the same place. I mean, you know, they... I think one of the worst stats for for leaking points. Um, I think on their right edge and and through the middle, which is just a really. But bad does the sign. middle really count? I mean, it's, <laughs> you, know, you like know, I mean, you can forget about the middle. Uh, yeah, well, it was, I think their right edge was the worst in the comp or something, or, or among them, and the the middle was was not too far behind, which was pretty pretty bad. Um, yeah, coach is the same. Their their team is more or less exactly the same, unless unless they, in, you know come up with a radical new system over the off-season. I can't see much more.
0: I happen to agree with you, mate. I'm going to say it's a 12th from me. I think they're going to finish around about that mark again. I think they'll have their usual run during State of Origin when they're playing depleted sides. Uh, But outside of that, when the whips are cracking, um, I think the Warriors are going to be found wanting. But let's go to social media. We asked the same question, how are the New Zealand Warriors fair in 2020? 45%, this could be the most damning percentage of anyone that we've asked so far, of any team, said that they would be diabolical next year. (laughs) So uh, the next one was 35% uh, with slightly better. 15% said it would be a drop from last year and only 5% said it would be a huge improvement. So... Um, it appears it's a very that the rugby league Five percent of four <laughs> I, is I, <laughs> yeah. I think I can see that. That's just Blake Green voting over and over and <laughs> over again. Here we go. He always tries to rot the system. He's a bit like the Ukraine. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Welcome back to the voluntary tackle, the home of uh, outrageously biased coverage when it comes to the Sydney Roosters, which is why we're having an entire segment dedicated to them right now because. I don't know who released this because, again, I don't do my research, Zander, but there has been a team of the decade released. Um, now, for me... Daily Telegraph. The Daily Telegraph. I didn't want to. They should remain <laughs> nameless, to be honest with you. Actually, you know what? Not a bad sports section, but that's kind of where it ends. But um, obviously, you're never going to please everyone with these kind of things, Zander, but uh, there were some pretty obvious omissions from the Roosters team of the decade. Now, these are the couple that I thought about. Uh, there was no James Maloney. There was no Blake Ferguson. No Roger tuivasa shek no Michael Jennings, SKD, and very uh, laughably, no Mitchell Pierce, which is honestly, it gave me a fantastic laugh. It was definitely laugh inducing. I don't know exactly. if it was laughable. <laughs> no, I'm very happy to see him not there. But do you think that Mitchell Pierce was sitting back reading that and thinking that was a bit of a G up after having, I don't know, what was it, eight years at the helm and Moderate success? Is that the best way to characterise Mitchell Pierce's time yeah, at the
1: Rooster? Yeah, moderate success. <laughs> exactly.
0: No, I'm actually... I, he shouldn't have made it. I'm, I think the listeners would know my attitudes towards Mitch Pierce and mediocrity, but
1: um, I would have thought that he'd what still you be really pretty, think? I thought he might make the bench because uh, just throwing him a bone, but he didn't. Yeah, I think if if anyone's going to make the bench, it was Maloney, which is, which is probably the question I had. So they had... Um, I think most of their selections aren't terribly controversial, but you're well, right. For the listeners' benefit, can you read yeah. it out for them now? So they've they've pulled, um, and uh, I think this is Russell Jackson, has put together a, a team with uh, Tedesco at fullback, Tupou on uh, one wing, then Latrell, Mitchell, and Manu as the centres. Minicello as the other wing because they had to have him in there somewhere. Absolutely. Um, Kiri and Kronk, obviously the halves. Hargraves and Friend, eight and nine. Taukeahu, Boyd Corner, and Sonny Bill Williams, and Victor Radley making up the forwards. Um, or the rest of the Fords, and uh, then a bench of Mitch Orbison, Dylan Napper, uh, Sam Moore, and Aiden Guerra. Now, how the fuck did Aiden Guerra make this team? And <laughs> I've got to say, I've got
0: question marks over Napper too.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, Dylan Napper, you know, I, I, I props to him for for managing to to uh, last so long in his full Grand Final outfit last year. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's team of the decade, is
0: he? He's not, no. I mean, yeah. it depends if you're talking about rugby league or amateur pornography. I mean, <laughs> he's definitely made the team of the decade there in terms of leaked NRL sex tapes. Uh, so, but I'm not sure if he should make the tricolours top team.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the, the the ones I probably have the biggest question marks over, yeah, Napa and, and, and Guerra... Uh, I think I also have a few question marks over Victor Radley. I think he's been good, but I don't know if he's necessarily been the best. Yeah, I agree. You know, he's starting lineup of the decade. Agreed. I Um, think he could well be there. Yeah.
0: I mean, he had a great grand final and he sort of bounced back a little bit. Yeah. I mean, but he also had a big dip uh, during the year, but. Part of that was actually probably not his fault. He got shifted to hooker yeah. at different
1: times. Yeah, so. and uh, he, he, maybe that's, that's the reason you give it to him, is because he managed to perform quite admirably at hooker. Yeah. You know, as He's versatile. Yeah, like in that position.
0: Now, there were some um, other honourable mentions. Um, now, I've already mentioned a, a couple, but we've also Braith and Asta didn't make it. Uh, Todd Carney, Sam Perrett, <laughs> Isaac Liu, uh, and Nate Miles didn't make it either. Neither did Le Lua. Uh, Lelua, yeah, Mm -hmm. of course. Although he probably... I'm assuming the criteria here is they have to play more than a year, by the way. So a minimum of two seasons. Um, I reckon, again, Braith and Astor probably might have been... a big, I don't think he's cut that he didn't make. He probably didn't read it, but um, I'd imagine a lot of people thought maybe Brethan Astor might make that bench. I think
1: I think Astor is definitely behind Maloney,
0: hundred percent, one hundred percent. Now, in typical voluntary tackle fashion, Xander, I have gone and curated my list uh, for the worst team of the decade for the Sydney Roosters, <laughs> uh, which I managed I to rattle of this actually. Yeah, I managed to <laughs> rattle off a few of them off the top of my head, but I have uh, leaned on Andrew Ferguson's rugby league project uh, to help me out. And jog my memory and I've got it tossed up some names that I wish I could forget all over again to be completely honest uh, so Eamon's worst 13 for the last 10 years I've got Dale Copley at the back naturally uh, again he probably didn't pay more than two years now that I think about it but I want him in there anyway uh, Brendan Elliott Joe Burgess Adam Henry Daniel Conn, Mark Riddell Matt McKilrick, Jackson Hastings Kane Evans Captain by Heath Lestrange obviously again Daniel Mortimer, Justin Carney, and big red nut Ben Jones. He can be a lost forward. That is a horrible 13 right there. And right there is actually when you realise, you go through the squads every year and you go, I can see where we get good here because there's less of those guys in the squad. Um, But Jackson Hastings, man of steel in the UK. Can you believe that? And then, of course, everyone had big raps on him, came out and played for England because I don't know if you know this, he's essentially a lord over there. And uh, came over and played and, God, he was just god-awful, wasn't he, in the uh, the internationals? Yeah. Um, we don't need to re- rehash that to <laughs> be- <laughs> beat hurts. that particular dead horse, but Jesus. I'd still talk about my, to my therapist about Jackson Hastings and particularly that 2016 season where Mitchell Pierce was rubbed out mm. and that put Jackson Hastings in the forefront. And we pretty much could have won another sort of 10 games. We lost a lot of games by under four points that year. And if it wasn't for Jackson Hastings throwing the lead away in each and every game, we might have finished top four. Instead, we missed the finals.
1: Yeah, I remember that. I tried steel. to block it out of my memory, but I, did, I still can't. Man of douchebag. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, it's that time in the show again where we have to leave um, and attend our respective brothels. It's very sad, Zender, but uh, look, those prostitutes aren't going to belt themselves, so...
1: <sighs> You can't podcast all day. I feel like in the Me Too era, this is just not not an okay joke, but okay. Uh, But look, we have come to the
0: end of the show, and uh, it's that time where we need to uh, let everyone know we're not the only podcast in town. In fact, there are arguably better podcasts out there, we have to admit it, Um, at Sports Best Friends. Go check them out. They've got a a wonderful podcast. Um, At the moment, they're interviewing a number of great rugby league identities in the off-season. Definitely worth your while. Also, if you're a massive Rugby League fan, uh, get on board and support the Rugby League Project um, and Andrew Ferguson on Twitter. I believe it's a Patreon site, uh, Rugby League Project forward slash RL. I might be getting that wrong. I've got it in front of me, but you'd be able to Google it, Sorry, trust Andrew. me. Sorry, Andrew. Sorry, Andrew, but he does, it's a wonderful resource. And if you love Rugby League um, and you want to keep it going, I, I recommend getting on board and funding it. And until next time, just do what Xander Risotto would do. Not a lot. <laughs> See you next time. Before we end the show, Sandra, of course, we need to do our mascot war. We weren't going anywhere. One, two, three. The Nintendo Game Boys. Okay, so the Yankees... Yep. Okay, as in, I guess, the New York Yankees. Yeah, no, no, not not the South Dakota ones. Okay, fantastic. Because yeah. like, fuck them. I hate those guys. <laughs> uh, versus the Nintendo Game Boys. Uh, now, I assume that my team comes from Japan uh, and that we're quite nerdy and probably love 1980s culture. I'm not sure what um, virtues we bring to the game of rugby league apart from masturbating constantly. But I think we can take these Yankee guys on. So firstly, can you describe... To the listeners, what a Yankee is
1: apart from just being a racist American? Um, See, I actually don't know what a Yankee is, and uh, I did just try and Google it here. Apparently, oh, look, you're cheating live. I love this. <laughs> I just, I just know it's a term for what they used to call the northern uh, northern soldiers in in the Civil War, right? They used to oh, call so them it's Yankees. a Civil War reference. Yeah, and, okay, uh, and actually, no. Were not, you the good guys or the bad guys? Not, not the Civil War. It's, it's um the War of Independence. Yeah, the War of Independence. So I assume they're not the British. They must be the British general named James Wolfe used at first to describe uh actually I fucking dunno. <laughs> <laughs>